Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are alive and that you are with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we do pray that you would make your presence known today. You would manifest your presence, that you would be with us, that we would have open ears and open hearts, open eyes to you, to whatever it is that you want to do and say. And um, yeah, we ask that you be at work. It is you who restores life. Come and renew us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we've been walking with Jesus through the season of Lent. We've been going through some of the major events of his life leading up to the kind of climax in Good Friday and Easter. Last week when we were able to celebrate nine baptisms, which was awesome. So good. Um, But we don't stop walking with Jesus after Easter. We don't ever stop walking with Jesus. But in terms of looking at the major events of his life, you can't end on Easter Sunday because after Easter Sunday, Jesus visited his disciples. He appeared to them and he talked with them and he taught them for 40 more days. And so that's where we're going to be today. We're going to, do, we're going to walk through Acts 1, 1 to 8, and talk about that after the resurrection period as we continue to walk with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, your paper Bibles, your electronic Bibles, you can pull them out. You can open them up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read just the first eight verses. They will be on the screen, I believe, and uh, it's our tradition here. I've made it our tradition here that we stand during the reading of Scripture. Um, This is to honor the Word of God. This is to participate together. This is to remind us that this is the best thing you hear from me today, is the reading of the Word of the Lord. So Acts 1, 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the opening of the book of Acts follows the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Same guy wrote them both, both, their part one and their part two. And he's writing to someone named Theophilus. And and here as he starts part two, two, he says, in my former book, I told you about all of the things that Jesus began to do and to teach because he's got a whole other book to write about Jesus, what Jesus has continued to do and to teach, both before his ascension, which Luke covers in these eight verses. If we were to keep reading in verse 9 is the ascension of Jesus, and we talked about that back in January. Um, But then also what Jesus continues to do through his church. 
And the book of Acts records all of that. But that story, the story of the church, where all the seeds have been planted in the Gospel of Luke, it begins here at the beginning of Acts with Jesus' command that they go to Jerusalem. They don't leave Jerusalem. They're already there, sorry. That they don't leave Jerusalem, but they wait for the gift that has been promised. And in a sense, I get to echo Luke here, where I say, like, we've been, we've looked at all the things Jesus began to do and to teach. We've hit some of the high points. We can't say we've looked at everything. Um, And the story keeps going. And one of the big pieces of the story is this wait. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. Wait for God to do the next thing that He has told you He is going to do. And then you will be shown what comes. And we will look at what comes because Jesus speaks these amazing words of prophecy, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And he's talking about Pentecost Sunday, and we'll get there in June. (laughs) Pentecost Sunday is in June, and on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to come back to this, and we're going to talk about it. But for today, we're going to talk about the waiting. We're going to talk about the in-between time, about the the nine days, tradition tells us, that they spent in between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost Sunday when this promise is fulfilled. And we're going to talk about waiting for God more generally. And as I was preparing for this and looking at this passage and thinking about what to preach on this and talking with our staff team, who are always super helpful with this kind of stuff, with sermon planning and, and listening to the Lord. We have a great team of elders and staff here who do these things and put up with my um, imposing on them around these things too, so it's really good. Um, I thought waiting is what we need to talk about for a number of different reasons. On a personal level, I think we've all been in places, and likely many of us are in places right now where we feel like we're waiting for God, where We've stepped forward in some place that we think God has called us into or called us away from, and now we're like, okay, but what's next? Like, show me the way. Um, And if you're not there right now, you've been there, and you'll be there again, where you know God is leading you, but you're not where you want to be yet, and you have that experience of waiting. Corporately, we experience this as well. Aressa mentioned that next weekend, the staff and elders are heading on a retreat. And we're beginning, we're heading on a retreat to receive some training around vision and values and mission and these kinds of things in a church. And as we go off to do that, what we're not doing is we're not going away for a weekend where we're going to figure out all the answers and then we're going to come back and we're going to tell you what it's all about. Um, That would I don't think we could do that even if we wanted to, but it wouldn't be the right thing to do because the process of coming to understand the vision and values within a church is largely a process of listening to and waiting for God. It's not our job to come up here and say, God, this is what we're going to do, make it happen, right? It's our job to say, God, where are you leading us? Where are you calling us? How have you gifted us? Show us the way so that we can walk in it. Right? And so we go off to hear from the Lord. And this is a process that will involve the whole church, not just something that we do in a weekend and you, you get to hear about it later. This is a first step. Um, and so there's a, there's a sense in which we as timbers are also waiting for God. God has done some amazing things in the last two years in this church. And I've said this before from up front, that it's been so clear to me 
how God has been at work here. And I know that he's got good things for us to come as well. But we don't know what all of those are yet. And we get to wait and see what he's going to do. And then on an even bigger level, on the level of simply being a disciple of Jesus, waiting is part of discipleship. It's part of how we are described as people of faith. All throughout Scripture, we're waiting for God's Son from heaven, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Corinthians, we're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of those key points of our identity, that we are the people who believe that Jesus has died and rose again, ascended into heaven, and will return. And because we know what that return will look like, and we have a picture of what the fullness of the kingdom of God is going to be, we get to live into that today, but we look forward to the day when it's fully present. And if the news in general, but especially over the last few weeks, with all of the violence against people of faith going on, doesn't make you say, Lord Jesus, come soon, I don't know what would. Right? And we look forward to the day of Jesus coming, not as an escape, but as a day of righteousness and justice, a day when God will set things right. We're the people who believe that will happen, and we wait for it. We wait for the hope of righteousness, for the revealing of, of the sons of God and the glory of God and the glory He's given us. Right? And, and lots of places in Scripture talk about this in a whole bunch of different ways, that we live with expectation, that we are called to be still and to know God and to wait upon God. Um, that for now we bear the first fruits, but we look forward to the day of harvest. It's embedded and woven into our identity as Christians that there is waiting. Um, that's just part of what we're called to do. So all three of these things are going through my mind as I'm thinking about this sermon and planning to talk about waiting for God. So how are we going to do this? Well, first I want to talk about the nature of waiting. What is Waiting. I know that seems really, really obvious, but bear with me <laughs> because I want to make a few things really clear before then we can, from that as a base of understanding, talk about waiting for God and what's involved there and what that means. Waiting has all sorts of flavors, right? It has all sorts of different, we experience waiting in all different kinds of ways. And the first thing to say about waiting is that waiting requires expectation. So if we think about the disciples before the resurrection, Good Friday, Jesus is crucified and he dies. In between his death and his resurrection, the disciples are not experiencing a time of waiting. And it is because they've given up. They don't believe, they don't understand that he's coming back on Sunday. Right? When the, when the two guys head down, they leave Jerusalem on the Emmaus Road, they're heading home. They're done. Right? It's a terribly difficult time. It's sorrowful. Right? It's painful. They feel like they've been defeated and everything they've hoped for is gone, but they're not waiting for anything because they don't think anything's going to happen. If I, if I come into the office one day and there's a letter on the desk and I didn't know it was coming, I don't, I don't say, oh, I've been waiting for this, right? Like I had no idea. I didn't expect anything, so I wasn't waiting. So the first ingredient of waiting is that you are waiting for something. You expect something to come or to happen or a person or whatever the case may be. Um, that's also, though, exactly what wakes waiting hard. Because when you expect something, good or bad, right? Sometimes you're waiting for something with dread. Sometimes you're waiting for something with excitement. Um, you want it now, right? Like it's something you, you want, either you want to get it over with or know that it's never going to come, <laughs> or you want it to, to come so that you can enjoy it. Think about being a kid waiting for Christmas. And um, 
we're particularly sometimes bad at waiting in our culture because we feel like anytime there's too much waiting, something must have gone wrong, right? Because we work really hard to minimize waiting. We work really hard to wait as little as possible, but we inevitably have to wait anyway. And as we do that, and as we look into different kinds of expectation, I've, I've thought through three different kinds of waiting. I don't want to claim these are the only kinds of waiting, but this is, it's been helpful for me. So the first kind of waiting is a technical or tedious waiting. This is when you're on hold with tech support. How many of you have been there, right? And the, yeah, hands up. We've all been there. The worst part is when they go like, you are approximately 15 minutes, and then 30 minutes later, you're still on hold because they've set up this expectation, and now it's being completely unmet. Um, waiting in line at the car wash. When, it, when the snow finally melted, I thought I'd go wash the van. So did everybody else in Prince George. Um, that's just what you do, I guess. And these kinds of waiting, all you can do is wait. And the waiting experience is largely dependent upon you. Are you a particularly patient person? Is your day super full and you were hoping to get this done in half the time? You can see progress, you, like the cars are moving forward. And if you're like me, you calculate how long each car wash takes, and then you start doing the math of how long it's going to be before you get in there. Um, you can sit on the phone, and you, if, if it's one of those systems that kind of gives you updates every once in a while about how long it's going to be or how many people are in front of you. I was once on hold, and the phone machine says, you are 1,000 and something in line. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what do you, how long am I? And then, then they said something unbelievable. This will be approximately 20 minutes. And I, was, I, was, I waited, and it wasn't that much more than 20 minutes. There must have been a lot of people in that call room across the world somewhere. Um, but this waiting is boring, and it's difficult, and it's consuming. It's the kind of waiting where there's not a lot else you can do. You're doing this to accomplish an immediate goal. At the end of it, you're hoping that your internet will be working again, your car will be clean, you'll be at the front of the bank lineup, whatever the case may be. And this is the first kind of waiting. There's another kind of waiting, though, and I would call it um, maybe uncertain waiting. This is the kind of waiting you experience when you're job searching or when you're applying to universities. You don't know how long it's going to take for any given application to come back to you. You don't know what that application is going to say. You don't know when you're going to get into university or if you're going to get into university, when you're going to get a job or if you're going to get a job. Like, it's very uncertain. There's not a lot of markers on progress. Right? You, you, you know, maybe you were in for the first interview and they said, we'll call you back if we want you for the second interview, but they never tell you exactly when that's going to be or if that's going to be or whatever. Right? And it's, it's a different kind of waiting because it's out of your control. It's not consuming. Like you're not, it's not the only thing you're doing is that you've sent off one application and now all you can do is sit there and wait for the weeks until it comes back. That would be awful. Um, but because of the uncertainty, it tends to weigh on you. It tends, to, it tends to consume attention, cause worry, perhaps anxiety. Again, depending on you. Some people are particularly peaceful about these things, able to let them go, just send off the application and be released. I'm not like that. Um, if you are, I, well, I don't even know what to say. I'm jealous. <laughs> it's not fair. Um, now, these, two, these first two kinds of waiting, they're easy to imagine, and we've all been there. And I think about the disciples in Jerusalem while they're waiting these days in between Jesus' ascension, and he's told them, just wait for, the literal translation is, but in not many days, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and I wonder what that kind of waiting was like. I wonder where they fit into these categories. 
And I notice I haven't talked about the third one yet. I, I can imagine some of the things they might have thought. Did they wonder if they would recognize God when he acted? Like, we're waiting, but we don't know what this is going to look like. Are we going to miss it? Can we mess up in these nine days so that it doesn't happen? They don't even know it's nine days, right? Like, after three days, did they start to think, did we do something wrong? Maybe we weren't supposed to leave that particular neighborhood in Jerusalem. And Peter, Peter went over there and got fresh lamb for all of us, and that might have wrecked everything, right? Did they start to ask those kind of questions? Um, Did they start wondering why they had to wait at all? I wonder this about God sometimes. Like, he's God. Couldn't he act now? Like, is there something stopping him? Is there some reason that we have to wait? Like, what... Maybe, maybe we have to fix something. Maybe God is made, making us wait until we get something right, and then we can finally have this, this promised Holy Spirit that's supposed to come. And, um, and I, I find it easy to think about all the worries and questions that they might have run through in those moments, but I actually don't think that's what their waiting was like at all, because there is a third kind of waiting. And the third kind of waiting is when you're waiting for a person. Now, waiting for a person involves some of the things in those first two kinds of waiting. There can be uncertainty. Your own character and ability to be at peace with things is certainly going to be a part of it. But waiting for a person adds a whole new set of ingredients around that other person. So imagine for a moment that you didn't live in a day with super reliable transportation and cell phones. Okay, so like maybe a hundred years ago or something, and and a friend says to you or a family member says to you, I'm I'm planning. They've written you a letter. I'm planning to come visit you this July, and our hope. This is our travel plans. You know, we're going to be on this train and this carriage, and and our hope is to arrive in in this time period, um, and and so you look forward to hopefully this person coming, but you don't know exactly when they're going to arrive because travel is uncertain, maybe things were delayed by the weather, maybe they didn't catch the train that they were supposed to, Um, who knows what could have gone wrong. You know that they're going to arrive this weekend, or you hope they're going to arrive this weekend. The plan is for this Friday, but it might be Saturday, it might be Sunday, or you might get a letter in the mail a little later saying, I'm really sorry, but it's going to be later in June, later in July than we had planned. Well, now this kind of waiting is quite a bit different. In this kind of waiting, one of the things you consider is the character of the person you're waiting for. Are they a good communicator? Are they likely to send word if something has changed? Are these one of these absent-minded people who is just going to show up and you're just going to have to deal with that? Are they fairly reliable? Right? Are they a person who's pretty trustworthy? Or are they a person who's always late? Even in this day and age with cell phones and reliable transportation, we all have those friends who if they say they're coming at 7 and they're not there at 7.05, you think they must have been in a car accident because they are punctual people. And then we have other friends who if they say they're going to be there at 7, at 7.45 we start warming up the hot water for tea because if they'd shown up before 8, the moon would have fallen out of the sky, right? Like we all have those kind of friends and, and the waiting is affected by their character. The waiting is also affected by your relationship with them. Are you looking forward to them coming? Are they a good, dear friend, and the time together is going to be a time of renewing your your friendship and the intimacy and enjoying one another's company and having fun together? Or are they one of those cousins that you'd really rather didn't visit? And so you're kind of like, okay, how are we going to get through this week? 
what's it going to be like? This is going to be awful. How do we minimize the trouble, right? And you, you prepare in different ways for those two different kinds of visits. How well do you know the person? Do you know what their favorite food is? Do you know what they like for breakfast, what they need for snacks, right? Are you going to prepare in that kind of way where you, where you start bringing in all the things that they really like? Um, or are they more of a stranger to you and you just all you can do is prepare generally, right? And your waiting now is affected not only by you, but by the character of the person you're waiting for, by the relationship you have with the person you're waiting for, and also by how you choose to prepare in light of those two things. Now, it is often the case that we treat waiting for God like one of the first two kinds of waiting. But waiting for God most definitely falls into the third category. Waiting for God is waiting for a person. And so the waiting we do when we're waiting for God, the waiting the disciples did here after Jesus left, it is affected by what they know of the character of Jesus, by their relationship with Jesus, and by how they choose to prepare. And the same thing is true of us. And so I think for the disciples, I think the waiting that they did in between the ascension and Pentecost would have been a waiting of eagerness and even a waiting of excitement. For so long, the disciples didn't get it. Jesus had tried to tell them repeatedly, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. But three days later, God will raise me from the dead. And, and they don't get it, but now they've seen it. And they haven't just seen it. They've had 40 days of post-resurrection instruction, right? Um, Luke tells us that after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, now that they finally get it, they've had further teaching on what is going on and who Jesus is and what they have to look forward to. And then he says, now I'm leaving, but wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit that is promised they will come upon you with power, that will lead you as witnesses out into the whole world. He's coming. And at this point, they know enough about Jesus, and their relationship with Jesus is such that this waiting would have probably been a time, a really good time of that kind of eager expectation, and how can we be best prepared, and God is coming, and this is going to be awesome. Because what are some of the things that they learned, and that we need to remember too in our season's of waiting. I said that our waiting for another person is affected by his character, by the character of that person, by our relationship with that person, and also by uh, how we choose to prepare. And so how do we lay these things out when we're talking about God? Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples, and he has revealed himself to us as perfectly faithful. He is steadfast in love and faithfulness. He's abundant in these things. He had died they thought it was all over. God raises him from the dead, and he's back. He has kept his word even when it was so unbelievable a word that none of them could get it through their head before they saw it happen. They know he's faithful. So when Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem, because in not many days you'll receive the gift that I was talking about, they know this is true. Our God is a faithful and trustworthy God. And that is just as true today as it has ever been. That doesn't mean the waiting will be easy, and it doesn't mean the waiting will be short, but it does mean the waiting will be worth it. 
always, because God comes through. They've learned he's faithful. They've also learned he's gracious. Again and again, they have watched Jesus as he faces people who are the lowest of the low, they're the outcasts, they're not welcomed by anyone, the woman at the well in Samaria, the demon-possessed man who's breaking through chains and cursing everybody, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, who he invites for dinner, the woman caught in adultery. You can just list person after person after person, and Jesus meets them with grace. He meets them with welcome. He meets them with love. And so they know that when God shows up, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the gift that has been promised, when the presence of God is among them, that He comes to bring life and to bring freedom and to bring good things and to be gracious. Not because He doesn't want to deal with the sin in their lives or deal with the bad things in their lives, but because He wants to do that for their good. So there's no fear, like, is God going to show up and smite us all? Right? Like, they know the answer to that is no. They know what Jesus is about. They know who he is. He is faithful and he's gracious. And so we can look forward to his coming. Finally, he's good. He's good in his wisdom. He's good in his power. He's good in every way. And so when he comes, even if you don't know what that's going to be like, and they don't, Jesus doesn't give them a deep description of what the day of Pentecost is going to look like. He doesn't say, watch for the tongues of fire, listen for the other languages, Right? People are going to think you're drunk, so I don't know what they were doing to make people think they were drunk. It wasn't just talking. Because last time I checked, you don't stand up and start speaking in another language and people go, oh, he's been drinking. Can you imagine if alcohol actually had that effect? No. So they must have been doing other things to make people think they were drunk. He doesn't tell them all that. He just says, wait. But even when you don't know, and we mostly don't know, how God is going to show up and what he's going to do when he does, we do know that it will be really, really good. That God is all wise and knows us better than we know ourselves. And God is all powerful and can do what we need him to do. And so when he comes, it will be in a way that is right and just and good and true and life-giving. So these are the things that they know about Jesus that have been deeply revealed to them, and these are the things that we know about Jesus too. And so when you find yourself waiting for God, remember this. Remember that he is faithful, and he is gracious, and he is good. And therefore, it is worth waiting for that you can look forward to his coming because it will be really, really good. What about the relational aspect? God wants us to have a deep and abiding trust in Him. And part of the journey of waiting is that deepening of faith and that deepening of intimacy. That's part of what God does in the waiting. That's part of why there's waiting, why it's not always instant, because it is a space for faith to grow. But we can say a lot of things independent of where we are on that journey, that journey of growing in faith. And God is gracious to meet us where we are in that journey. So you don't have to feel like you've got to try to jump ahead of where you actually are. Right? You can be with the Father who says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? You can be mixed up. God will still meet you there. Independently of where we are in that journey and knowing that God will meet us in that journey, we can say some key things about our relationship with God that are just true. Because God has laid out who He is to us. And I want to highlight four of those. God is our Father. God is our friend, God is our shepherd, and God is our Lord. And you can't leave any of these out. 
It, sometimes we like to just pick the one that's our favorite and ignore the ones that aren't. And that fits for all four categories, right? Different people here will struggle with different of those images. Um, if you've had a terrible relationship with your father, it can be really hard to imagine God as father. Uh, if you're like me and have some rebellious spirit in you, it can be really hard to submit to God as Lord, right? So you pick, but all of these are important. He's our father, he's our friend, he's our shepherd, and he's our Lord. And in each of these relationships with us, waiting is a tool that he uses on our behalf. So as our father, God uses waiting in our lives both to shape our hearts and deepen our trust in him. He uses them to shape our hearts in the sense of waiting is often a formative period in which we become ready to say yes to God. Um, I was talking to Pastor Jessica about this, and she said it really well. She said, Wait, God uses waiting to bring us to a yes. And I've seen this in our lives. That's just actually true about coming here. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I've told some of this story in different ways already, but a little over a year ago, I felt led by God to leave a pastoral position without knowing where we were going next. And at the start of the journey of like, okay, God, where are you going to lead us? We're waiting to see. And I would have been quite happy for him to show me the next day, like hand in my resignation and the next day I know where I'm going. And that's not what he did. Um, God was getting us ready to look where he needed us to look, to see where he needed us to see. At the start of that journey, we were only looking at churches in a very small geographical area. Now, as soon as we started walking with Timbers, step by step, it became more and more clear that this is where God was calling us, and this is where God has called us. But if we hadn't even been willing to look, we wouldn't have seen that. And so part of the waiting for us was God opening us up to where we could actually begin to hear what He wanted to say, where we could actually see what He wanted us to see. And He shaped our hearts in that way and opened us up to obedience. He also, our Father, uses waiting as a time to deepen our trust in Him, because it is in the waiting that you are called to exercise faith. Will you actually wait? Or will you begin to take things into your own hands and deal with it yourself in your own way because you just give up, like, oh, I, God isn't here, it's been three days, it's time for me to take care of things myself, um, or will you have faith? And that experience of waiting and then seeing God's faithfulness is exactly what deepens our faith. It is how God works. And that's why I said it's important to know that He meets us where we're at. If you look at the, the people who journey in faith in the Scriptures, God doesn't start with the really hard stuff at the beginning. He builds them up to where they're able to walk with Him in deeper and deeper faith. So this is how He works as our Father. God as our friend, I think, uses waiting both to draw us close to Him in intimacy and also to give us an opportunity to see where we're at, because a friend helps you see yourself more clearly. A good friend does. A good friend is someone who's going to speak to you and say, do you realize this and this and this? And um, those are the best kind of friends who will speak the truth to you. So the times we have of waiting, we need to be clear here, it's not a time of God's absence. When you're waiting for God, it's not because God is gone. It's not because he's busy. It's not because he really wanted to help you, but he can't yet. Right? If God has put you in a time of waiting, it is intentional, and part of what he wants to do is to meet you in that space. 
And we get stuck so often thinking where we really want to meet God is when He does the thing, whatever that thing is that we want Him to do, right? And we often have a very clear picture of what we want that to look like. So don't be surprised if that's not what it looks like. But God's going to meet us there, and in the meantime, it's just hard. No, God is with you now. And, and part of what you can ask that is a really powerful question in a season of waiting is, where are you trying to meet me today, Lord? It won't be in the same place as whatever it is you're waiting for, or otherwise the waiting would be over, but it will be someplace really good. The other thing he does as our friend is that waiting is a time to reveal how we're doing, right? It's like a time when you can, you can diagnose a little bit and you can examine yourself and you say, how am I doing in this waiting? Um, and this shouldn't be a thing about guilt, okay? He's, he, Jesus, as our friend, he's not doing this to make you feel bad. You're in a time of waiting, you realize you're super stressed out. Okay, there's some work to do. There's some things that God is going to meet you in and perhaps free you from and walk through with you. But he doesn't want you to see that stress and feel awful. He wants you to see that stress and give it over to him so that you can be drawn into him more and learn more and grow more and be, find more life in him. Um, but often you won't see that except in the time of waiting, except in the time of testing. So we say this about courage too, for example, there's no courage absent fear. Courage is the ability to do what's right even when you're afraid. Well, if there's never a period where doing what's right is scary, you'll never know how courageous you are. If there's never a period of waiting, you'll never actually get to see how much your faith has deepened. So God as our Father uses this to shape our hearts and deepen our trust. God as our friend uses this to increase intimacy with him, but also to reveal how we're doing and open up our eyes to where we're at and where we can allow God to continue working. As our shepherd, I think God uses waiting for provision and preparation. You can picture waiting often as, as a green pasture. There's a hard journey ahead so shepherds, sheep, right? I know we don't eat grass, but there's a hard journey ahead, and here is a green pasture and quiet waters so that you can load up, so you can get ready to go. Because if you don't, if you don't rest, and if you don't provision before you leave, you're going to have trouble on that journey. And this is another thing we can often miss. We want to get moving. We want to get where we're going. And God is saying, if you were there already, do you know what that would be like? It would be awful. It would be like be like going on a really long hike. You're going to head off on a three-day hike and you've got two granola bars. You might make it, but you're not going to have fun. So take the time of waiting and ask like, God, how are you trying to fill me up in this time? Same thing with preparation. Um, I can continue talking about the story of coming here. Even if we had been willing to look right at the beginning, we weren't ready. We needed a season of rest. And God was very gracious in giving that to us in preparing us in those ways. There were things that occurred in the six months between working at Burnaby and starting to serve here that I look at as great gifts, um, that I can see how God has been using those in this time here. And God is really good. Like We talk about Him being, being faithful and gracious and good in His wisdom. He knows what's coming. You don't. So take the preparation He gives you, whatever that is. And that's another question you can ask in a season of waiting. God, what is it in this time of waiting that you're trying to give me? How is it that you're trying to prepare me and shape me and fill me up? Finally, as our Lord, God uses waiting in our life as a space in which we can have ready obedience. He is our Lord. We are his servants, or to use a more extreme word, his slaves. 
right? And a time of waiting is when we can be acting that out, where we can say, I'm here, whenever you call, I'm ready to go, right? And a good servant is ready for when the master calls. The master may not be calling right now, but that doesn't mean you go off and do things that prevent you from answering the call when it comes. It means that you do whatever you can to be as ready as you can for when there is a call. And so we have that opportunity in times of waiting to be good servants, to be people who are enacting Jesus' lordship. And we're going to talk more about what does it mean to be ready in, in two weeks. So you've got to wait for that one. Um, we're going to talk about being ready for the God who acts and listening to the God who speaks later in May. What I want to say today then, as we think about these ways in which what we know of the character of God affects our waiting, what we know of our relationship with God affects our waiting, so He is faithful and He is gracious and He is good and we can remember those things and rely on those things. He is our Father who shapes our heart and who, I'm going to have to try to remember all these, <laughs> who shapes our heart and who, um, now I'm forgetting the second one, I'm drawing a mental blank here. Let me turn my notes back. Sorry. <clears throat> shapes our heart and deepens our trust, losing my notes here. As our friend, he draws us closer in into intimacy and uses it as a time to reveal where we are. As our shepherd, he uses it as a time of preparation and provision. And as our Lord, he uses it as a time where we can be ready to obey. In the midst of all of that, one of the things that we need to hear is that we are not supposed to be people who make everything happen. We are supposed to be people who are still, and who know God, and who wait for God, and who follow Him when He leads. And as we live into that, as we become those kind of people, God is not a God who is not active. Yes, there are things that we have to wait longer for. The return of Jesus, we've been waiting for over 2,000 years, and who knows how much longer we're going to have to wait. Someday He will return, and it will be awesome. But God is active day to day. He wants to work in and through us. He longs to do that. And if we will put down all of the things that clutter up our lives and fill our hands and fill our heads and fill our hearts and actually wait on Him and say, God, how do you want to work? What do you want to do? He doesn't keep us waiting for long to answer that question before He starts giving us one thing one step at a time. He's not going to lay out the whole roadmap for you. You're not going to answer that question and then suddenly have the detailed plan for the next five years of your life, because that's not how God works. He wants you to trust in Him, not the plan. But He will start to give you one step. He will start to say, this is the way I want to act. This is the thing I want to do. And that's what it means to be a people who wait on God. It doesn't mean that we're a people who do nothing. It doesn't mean that we're a people who just sit around. It means that we're a people who walk with the living God, who is constantly at work, and who longs for us to work with Him. And He is so faithful and so gracious and so good to meet us when we are willing to walk with Him in those ways. So I just want to urge you to begin to do that if you haven't already, to remember the things that I've talked about today as you do that, and to see where God leads you, and to see where God leads us. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that you are gracious and faithful. I thank you that you are the living God, that you are here with us today, and that you are here with us each day, not just as we meet on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday too, that you are still with us, longing to work in and through us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would be people who give times of stillness to hear you, and that we would be people who act where you lead. Lead us in power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.